Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. It's not finished yet. God's still working in his life. Well, praise God. Well, good to be in the house of the Lord. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, if you'll turn to the book of Revelation chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to be there in just a second. But, um, um, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, my wife was telling me a story. She said, Shane, she said, when Scott Willis was here, she said something, something really interesting happened. She said he was praying over people, and as he was praying for people, he prayed for, he prayed for somebody, and she told me who he prayed for. And uh, he said that God's going to give you uh, a lion's roar, a lion's roar. And uh, he said when, she said, when he said that, uh, she said that in my spirit, I just had this, I had this thought, and I had this scene in my mind of a lion roaring, and all of its enemies scattering. And uh, she said, the Lord spoke to me that that's what God wants to do in our midst, is that He wants to give us a lion's roar. And uh, a lion's roar will scatter its enemies. And so I got that in my spirit, and I got thinking about that, and I got praying about that, and I thought, you know, a lion, a lion is something you don't want to mess with. How many of y'all like National Geographic? I love National Geographic the Smithsonian Channel, and uh, all of that. You know all that stuff's true, right? Just like the Internet. Everything's true that's on there. And, uh, but I, I, got to, I got to study and I got to looking, and I thought, I felt like I needed to preach this morning on the lion's roar. And, uh, and so I want to take a few minutes and talk about the lion's roar this morning because I believe it's time for the church to have a lion's roar. And when I'm finished this morning, you'll understand what I mean by that. What, what it means to have a lion's roar. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking, the Lord spoke to me and said that I believe we're in a season of redeeming and removal. And uh, there, are, there are things that God wants to redeem in our lives, and there are things that God wants to remove. There are things He's removing in order to redeem other things, and there are things that He is redeeming in order to remove other things. But we have to be mature enough to know what God is removing and what He's redeeming in our lives. And to know that and uh, be able to identify that there are times in our lives when God will remove certain things in our life. There are relationships that have to be broken or we have to let go for a season. There are times when He wants to redeem something in our life. Redeem uh, our marriages or redeem relationships with family or redeem things in our life that have been lost or something the enemy has stolen, God wants to give back and He'll redeem it. And uh, when He redeems, that word redeem is an interesting word. The word is used a few times in Scripture, but uh, the root of that word means to restore. And the word restore is used one time in the Bible. Restoration is used a lot, but the word restore is used one time. It's when the withered hand, man with the withered hand in the synagogue was in the synagogue and Jesus called him forth. He didn't have anything but a nub in his hand. Uh, uh, and that was what he had. Who knows how he lost it? How, it, how where, you know, he could have got chopped off farming. It could have been an accident. It could have been an animal. It could have been many things, but he lived. And Jesus called him forth and he said, stretch forth your hand. 
And the Bible said, and Jesus restored his hand. But it's an interesting word. It doesn't mean he healed the hand. It means that he did a creative miracle. He created a new hand on the man. In other words, the word means to create a new structure. To restore or to bring restoration means to create a new structure. If God restores a marriage, you can't go on in that marriage doing the same things that you always did because that's what got you to the place of it being broken in the first place. What God has to do is restore it. He has to create a new structure. He has to create it. It's, it's as building a new structure to lay, to put on a foundation. It's like it like has to be creatively done new and fresh. And so God wants to restore. He wants to redeem areas of our life. But I, I want to talk this morning about the lion's roar. In the book of Revelation chapter 5, and verse, uh, let's begin in verse 5. It says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. How many know that's a great promise in the Word of God? The lion of the tribe of Judah has won the victory. Not that he will win. Right? Not that he will win. He has won the victory this morning. How many know the lion of the tribe of Judah has won the victory this morning? Jesus is not going to win. He has won. Thank God. And so the revelator says, stop weeping. It's time to stop weeping. It's, we have all been through a weeping season. I mean, we all have been through a season over the last couple of years that many of us have found ourselves in very difficult situations that have caused us to bring weeping. And we have been through a weeping season. But weeping, the Bible gives us a promise. It says, weeping may may endure for a night, but what happens? Joy comes in the morning. And that is a promise out of Psalms 30 and 5 that we have. He has already won. He has already won whatever you're facing. He's already won the victory for whatever you're fighting this morning. He's already won the victory for whatever you're confronting this morning. There is victory. There's already victory. You just have to walk that victory out. And walk that victory out and and believe it and step in to that victory. He's already won. The Lion of the tribe of Judah has already won the victory. In other words, Jesus in this passage of Scripture is described as a lion and a lamb. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a contrast? If you read on down a little further, it says this, it says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. In other words, in this passage, Jesus is looked at as a lion and a lamb. A lion and a lamb. And so when we read that passage of Scripture, and and it's interesting, I want to read Galatians 3.27 to you. It says this, Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, that word means to put fully, to fully put on. It means to put on the clothing, or to put on the garments of Christ. It it Really, the root word means to put on the nature of Christ. 
that those who are in Christ, we are to put on the nature of Christ. We are to put on the clothing of righteousness and peace. And we are to put on the nature of Christ. But that also means that we are to put on the nature of a lion and the nature of a lamb. If the Bible describes him as a lion and the Bible describes him as a lamb and we are, as we are in him, we are like him, we've put him on, we've put on the very nature that Jesus walked in. And which is we also are both, can be a lion and a lamb. If Christ is both lion and lamb and we have the nature of Jesus, we as Christians have to be lions and lambs. And uh, you, may, you may look like a lamb, but you have a roaring lion on the inside of you. And in a world full of hyenas and serpents and wolves and foxes, it's time for some holy lions to begin to rise up in this hour. Huh? I'm telling you, you better find the lion inside of you in this hour. Because we're living in a world where there are a bunch of hyenas and a bunch of serpents and a bunch of wolves and a bunch of wolves in sheep clothing and foxes and serpents and devils everywhere. So we have to put on that nature, that lion nature of Christ. There needs to be some holy lions that rise up in this hour to confront the spirit of Antichrist which is in this age. Do you all know that? Y'all know the spirit of Antichrist has absolutely been unleashed in this nation. But God is raising up some folks. There's some lions that are raising up. God is raising up some lions this morning. And I believe He's going to. This metaphoric, prophetic application of Jesus as the quintessential lion, you know, this does not uh, just say He's a lion. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. That's important. The Bible just doesn't say he's a lion. It says he's a lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's important this morning. That's an important aspect to that description of who he is. Because the lion, the lion and Judah component are important. You already know this. Uh, a simple Bible exegete uh, here, the word Judah means what? It means praise, right? And so, uh, the first of all, we have to understand about the roar of a lion. What does it mean when a lion roars? When a lion roars, it has implication. And many scientists have done study on what happens when a lion roars. And as I got to studying this, I got blessed. I'm telling you, I got blessed. And I don't know if I'll make it through the rest of the service or not. But if I have a happy spell, just, just kind of just forgive me for a minute. I'll come back. Just let me finish. But as I got to looking at this, number one, a lion's roar marks his domain. When a lion roars, he's marking his domain. When a lion roars, he's going, what he's doing is, is that this is how he marks his territory. A lion roars, uh, a lion roar can be heard. Listen to this. A lion's roar can be heard for five miles. 
I mean, no, that's, that's a powerful roar. Now, my mama could yell, y'all. And uh, I could hear my mama blocks away. And when I was growing up, we had, uh, we had church bells that would go off at 6 o'clock, and that's the time we had to be home because that's when dinner would be ready. And so my stepmother could stand on our porch. We lived on a hill. And she could yell our name. And you could hear it. I'm telling you, you could hear it a mile away. I'd be in my friend's house, and my friends would say, hey, man, your mom's calling you. <laughs> I'd say, you heard that? He said, oh, yeah. I'd have friends come find me because they heard my mom yell for me. They'd come, and I'd be doing something. They'd come, and they'd be out of breath. Hey, man, I heard your mama yelling for you. You better go home. Because they knew that by not responding meant death. You would die. <laughs> you would die. <laughs> my mom would literally kill you. She's probably watching this morning. And, and, uh, but I could hear her. Her voice would echo through the valley and through all of Covington, Kentucky, down through that valley. I could hear her all over everywhere. But a lion's roar can be heard for five miles. And so a lion marks its territory with its roar. So the way a lion works in his kingdom, as far as the, as, as the roar will reach, is as far as his roar will reach, will be as far as his territory is. Um, wherever, wherever your roar reaches, that's the territory that God will give you. The lion's enemies, according to the National Geographic, which of course never lies, and uh, the lions, they said that the lion's enemies respect the roar. When they hear the roar, they never enter in to that lion's territory. When his enemies hear the roar of the lion, they scatter. They never enter into that lion's territory. They never go into that lion's territory. The lion's enemies... Respect the roar. Unless they find the lion outside of his pride. If they find him outside of his pride, then they will attack the lion. Because he's outside of his covering. He's outside of his area. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you in the book of Amos. Amos chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, A lion has roared. Who will fear? The Lord God has spoken. And who can but prophesy? And so we read there in Amos chapter 3 that unless, who can respond to the roar of the lion? The roar of the lion brings fear. Your roar is your praise and your worship. Your roar as a believer and as a Christian is your praise and worship. In other words, your roar, your praise and worship, your prayer time, that marks your territory as a believer. Your prayer life, your worship life, that marks your territory. As loud as your roar is, that is where the boundaries of your territory is. And if I was you, I would not permit anyone. And let me be specific here about praise and worship. It's not the emotional exuberance uh, but when we worship, the, there's an atmosphere in the house that is created. 
When worship is taking place in a house, there's an atmosphere that is created. An atmosphere sustained creates a climate. A climate sustained creates a stronghold. And so when, when we worship, when we learn how to worship, when we roar in our worship, what we're doing is, is we're producing an atmosphere. We're producing an atmosphere of the presence of God. We're taking the territory. We're saying that this area where we're worshiping belongs to God and nobody else. This is His atmosphere. This is where God is. And so, it's, it's, your, worship is your, your worship is your roar. And I would not let anyone, I would not permit anyone to invade and take away my worship. Don't let your worship be hindered. Don't let your worship be taken away from you. Don't let that, because here's what I believe. I believe God is detoxing our relationships. He's sanitizing the atmosphere and He's vaccinating your future. And I believe for, so committed to worship is an expression where we usher in the presence of God. Your praise marks your territory. Your worship marks your territory. Do not permit anyone or anything to occupy your praise and your worship. Do not let anything interrupt your praise and your worship. We can be so easily distracted. But did you realize that because the nature of Jesus is in you, when you worship, there is a roar that is going out that you're signaling to the enemy that you belong to God and to God alone. Hallelujah. If you'll get this, it'll change the way you worship this morning. You know, the enemy, the way that he attacks, if the enemy can come in and distract you from your worship and distract you from your roar, then he can begin to take your territory. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it said the Philistines, the Philistines gathered their armies together for battle. And they were gathered in Judah. They were gathered in Judah into the place of praise. They invaded the armies of Israel on their territory. They, they came into their territory and they set their armies up to intimidate them from being who God wanted them to be. You know, I've always been interested in the battle between David and Goliath, but there's an aspect of it that I never understood until recently. You know, the Bible says that when David got to the battle place, and you know, Goliath for 40 days had came out challenging the children of Israel, and, and nobody responded. Nobody wanted to fight Goliath. Nobody did. And, uh, and I, I, was inter- I found it interesting that when David got there and he heard what the giant was saying, there came this thing in David that rose up. Hallelujah. I mean, he became immediately Hallelujah. offended that somebody was defying God in Judah on God's territory and nobody was doing nothing about it. David became indignant. But guess where David just came from? He came from the pastures. He came from the place of worship. He came from the place of where he was tending sheep and writing psalms and in the presence of the Lord. And when he got there and he saw this Philistine defying the armies of God, there was a roar that came out of him. Something got in him and said, hey, this ain't right. 
How can we stand by and let this Philistine defy the armies of God? And I thought to myself, why would, they, why would the armies of Israel do that? But I didn't know the answer to that till later. We were, we were in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago, and we went and visited the Museum of the Bible. And uh, they had an exhibit there. And one of the exhibits that was there was from the time of David. And it was a, an exhibit of a, a, a city that had been, uh, the archaeology had gone in and excavated it. It was called the Tale of Two, the City of Two Gates is what it was called. And uh, 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 it's mentioned in 1 Samuel 17, verse 52. It was a city called Sharam. And Sharam was a city where the children of Israel, would, uh, the battle, the armies would stay. It was a city of two gates. They called it the city of two gates because what happened was is that at one gate that the believers are faithful to God would enter and another gate they would allow some of those people, Philistines who they had friendly, who had, they had made friends with, enter at the other gate. And what they excavated was, is they found that those, those Israeli army, those Israelis, they had what they called pocket gods. They were Philistine pocket gods that they had gotten from the Philistines because Gath and Ashdod was not far from the city and they were sneaking out and going and being with Philistine women. They were engaging in the Philistine culture and then they were coming back and they were carrying these idols that were pocket gods. And many of the Israeli army, the reason why they weren't defiled, or reason why they weren't upset by the giant was because they too were just like the Philistines. They had a sympathy for them. They had, they had compromised and became like them. So why would they be enemies with someone they were like? It's kind of like the church today. We're so worldly and so like the world that what has happened is, is when the world stands up and begins to mock the church and mock God and defile the things that belong to God, the church just stands back. Why? It's not offensive to us. Why? Because we're just like the world. We carry the world's pocket gods in our lives. But David rose up and he said, I'm not going to let this Philistine. The first thing they did was occupy Judah, the place of praise. If the enemy can occupy your praise and your worship, the, the enemy can take away your worship because that's, that's, because that's what brings breakthrough and atmosphere into your life. If he can interrupt your worship, interrupt your atmosphere, then the warfare will be tilted toward the enemy's favor. Don't permit the enemy to do anything to occupy your place of worship and your place of praise. I've learned that the size of your praise and worship is in direct, is in direct proportional to the hell He took you out of. Listen, praise and worship, I used to believe for a long time praise and worship was a cultural uh, construct or manifestation 
of, you know, someone's theological worldview. In other words, when I was a kid and I went to church and, uh, you know, we sang hymns and all that was good and, you know, it was nice. You know, how many of y'all like the old hymns? We like hymns. Everybody, we like hymns. <laughs> and, uh, but it was the construct, the theological worldview that I knew. But my grandfather, who was never a church man, never went to church, but every fifth Sunday, every fifth Sunday, my grandfather would go down to the corner on Greenup Street in Covington, Kentucky. There's an old AMC church there. It's a black AMC church. And it was a black church, and they'd have a singing. And uh, uh, they'd have a singing on the fifth Sunday. He loved going down to that black church on that fifth Sunday when they had a singing. Because them black folks would bring out the tambourines. They'd bring it all out. The music, the horns, the, sax, the saxophones, all of it. And they would worship. And I'm telling you, you could hear it down the street. It was getting on. And I always thought that that was a cultural thing. I knew a Hispanic church that was in Fort Wright, Kentucky, that, man, they could blow the doors off in worship. And, and I just thought it was cultural. And then you go into a white people's church and they sing hymns, and, you know, it was just different. I'm just telling you, it was different. <laughs> they were active. You know, they, they were active, and it was just, you know, I mean, you go to a white person's church, they're all like Spock on Star Trek. You know what I mean? But the rest of those churches were like Kirk. You know what I mean? I mean, Spock and Kirk. There's a big difference between Spock and Kirk. If you don't, if you, I don't know if you're Star Trek. Who cares? You know, I don't know. I don't even know why I went there. I'm just telling you. White folks just did not have any rhythm. And, uh, and so, and I always thought that it was a cultural thing. Worship was a cultural thing. But when I became a pastor, and I began traveling with Brother Keith, and we go all over the country, and, and I go to England or I go to places and this is what I found out. I found out that people's worship has nothing to do with their culture. Their worship, many of them, their worship had to do with the level of deliverance that they experienced when they got saved. In other words, the deeper hell you got pulled out of, the more grateful you were. The greater the deliverance, the greater the worship, the greater the praise the greater that God began to work, the size, the size of your praise and worship was in proportion to the hell that God brought you out of. The deliverance that He brought into your life. Why? Because when you get saved, there's a gratefulness that comes in your life because you know where you have been. You know what Jesus did. You know what He pulled you out of. You know what He delivered you from. You know what He put in you now. The peace you now have that you didn't have before. And when you've been delivered, you can't help but thank Jesus for the freedom that you have in Christ when He reaches down in hell and pulls you out and sets you on a rock and gives you your life back. I'm telling you. I'm just telling you. So the lion's roar marks his territory. The lion's roar marks that territory. When a lion roars, whatever can hear the roar is within the domain of that lion. And I'm telling you, we need to let the world know 
that the lion of the tribe of Judah is alive in the church again. And this world needs to begin to hear the roar of the believer again and let them know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns it all and it's all his. It's not going to become his. It is his this morning. I said it is his this morning. It doesn't belong to Washington. It doesn't belong to Moscow. It doesn't belong to the rest of the European world. It belongs to Christ and his kingdom. And the church needs to roar again and mark its territory. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. Listen, I like this one. My God. Yeah. When a lion roars, I was reading, as I was studying, I was reading an article this week, and uh, it was a Smithsonian article. It said that when a lion roars, there's something that happens chemically in the lion's body. Now, most lions are docile during the day. There's this, uh, there's, they're very non-active. They're very docile. They, they sleep, and they, uh, you know, they're sleepy. They're, they're kind of uh, lethargical. And, uh, and so, but a lion, his most active time is in the early evening and through the night. Most lions will roar in the evening. So here's number two. Number two, a lion's roar improves his eyesight in the darkness. When a lion roars, there's a chemical that's released in his body. And it's an adrenaline. And what it does is it activates the five senses of that lion. So his sight is better. He sees better at night than he does during the day. That's why they hunt at night. His senses, his hearing, his smell, his muscular uh, configuration in his body uh, begins to get adrenaline and the lion becomes stronger at night. And so he hunts in the evening. Most lions will roar in the evening and will roar at night. He becomes more aggressive in the evening. It improves all of his five senses. And so he's able to walk through the darkness without being hindered. <laughs> Whew. Think about that. He's able to walk through the darkness without being limited by anything. You'll get that in a minute. I said he's able to walk through darkness without being limited in his life in anything. Let me tell you what the roar of the lion in your life is. Is the roar of the lion in your life is God will give you the ability to walk through the darkest times of your life. And you'll be able to see clearly in the darkness. You'll be able to discern what the enemy's doing. You'll be able to discern what the enemy's trying to do. Your senses will be more aware to the Spirit of God and to what God's doing. You'll know to go here or to go there or to do this. Your strength will be better in the times of darkness and attack because your body is going to be strengthened by the night, by the roar of the lion. There's something that takes place in him that allows him to become limitless when he walks through the darkness and he walks through dark seasons. He'll hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Difficult times. How many of y'all need to see clearly in difficult times? How many of you need strength in difficult times? 
How many have been through some dark places and you had no idea how you got through it? I'll tell you how you got through it. The Holy Spirit led you through it. There was something about your praise in dark seasons, your roar in dark seasons that gave you vision, that gave you the ability to walk through that tough situation and come out on the other side better than you were when you went in on the before. Because that's our God. But the roar of the lion in your life will give you strength and eyesight and sensitivity and hearing to go through dark seasons in your life. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo! <laughs> Listen. <laughs> the roar of the lion of the believer will help the church walk through pandemics. <laughs> Y'all hearing me? I'm telling you the church can't lose its praise in the midst of national moral decay. We can't lose our praise. We can't lose our worship. We can't lose our roar. We can't lose our roar doing national rebellion or in a season when our country has turned its back on God. But I believe there's a roar that's coming out of the church. And in that roar that's coming out of the church, there's going to be a strength, a vision. We're going to hear God like we've never heard God before. We're going to see God like we've never seen Him before. There's going to be a building up and a strength in the body to overcome and walk through whatever the enemy throws at the church. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. It feels good up here, y'all. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. In other words, the roar activates the power of God in your life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My God, help us, Jesus. The lion's roar marks his territory, his domain. The lion's roar improves our eyesight and our strength in darkness. <laughs> Whew. I'm getting this. I'm telling you, I'm getting this. Here's one of my favorites. <laughs> They're all my favorite. But number three, when a lion roars, when a lion roars, when a lion roars, he is calling his children back home. <laughs> Woo. When a lion roars, he's calling his children back home. He is locating pride members and summing them back together again. When a lion roars, whew, my God, he's calling all of those that belong in that pride back together again. Hebrews 10.11 says, And they shall go after the Lord, and He will roar like a lion. And when He roars, His children, His children shall, shall come trembling from the west. That's what it says. What Amos is saying is, is that when the children of God begin to roar, it begins to call home. It begins to call home all of those that have strayed all of the prodigals, all of those that have walked away from God, 
All of those that are out there on their own, that are wondering, that have no, that have no covering, that have no pride covering. It's interesting that it says that from the West, that they'll come from the West. And the reason is, is because lions follow, when they wonder, they follow the sun down. They will follow the sun coming down. The sun sets in the West. And so what Amos is saying, when, the, like, when a lion roars, he's calling back his children. He's calling back all that belongs to God. All those that have wandered away. All of those that have gone, uh, that are isolated, that walked out of the covering of God. And so, it's interesting. There, there are lions that wander from the pride. They get distracted. And because they get distracted, what happens is, is that they wander out into the darkness. They're left alone. They follow their own senses. They are, uh, they're, they're on the outside. They're in danger because outside the pride, they're susceptible to hyenas and susceptible to other types of animals that would prey and kill lions. They're in the danger zone. They're outside of the covering. They're vulnerable to prey. And uh, here's what's happening. And they become isolated. They become isolated. But the roar of the lion allows those lions that have wandered, those lions that are lost, to have a sense of the way back, of how to get back. It's an invitation to come back. It's an invitation to come back to the pride. And here's what happens. I did not know this. But National Geographic said that when a lion calls its pride in through a roar and all the pride shows up, those lions will know who's missing. They will know who's not there. And instinctively, the whole pride will go out after to find the one that has been strayed and the one that has gone off. Think about that for a moment. Even the lions have enough sense to go after those that have wandered off and wandered away. They go after their own. And I believe this morning that God will give you the lion's roar to call back those that have walked away from God, walked away from church, walked away from the presence of God. I believe there's a lion's roar that will call back home the prodigal and the one that has lost and been without God and walked away from God and will call them back home again. I believe there's going to be a prodigal revival. I believe the product, God is going to bring the prodigal back home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are there any lions in the house this morning? Hallelujah. Turn the porch light on, baby. They're coming home. I said they're coming home. I said God is going to bring them home. I think about it for a moment. Think of those that have left the church. Think of those that have left for various reasons. Some of them have been led astray. They've been driven away by their own flesh. They fell. They gave in to their own flesh. Some have left the church because they didn't, because the church placed the lid on, on them through dogma and through religion and, and began to throw uh, condemnation and things on them that are, that are dogma and religious outside the Word of God. In other words, dogma has trumped doctrine. And religion has trumped authenticity. 
Their gifts were ignored. And their passions were explained away. They were not allowed to have individuality. And we criticized them because they were a generation that was different. A generation that didn't think like us or act like us or dress like us or do like we did in the previous generation. But I believe now is the hour that the church needs to roar. We need to go after the prodigal. We need to go after those that once walked with God but walked away in discouragement or because of something that happened and say it's time to come home. It's time to come back to the family. Hallelujah. I believe a couple of you are with me. (laughs) You know why? Because I believe there are voices of the voices of the future that are coming back. I believe they're coming back. I believe they're coming back. You believe that? Say yes. I mean, I believe it. I believe God is bringing them home. I believe God is going to bring them home. Listen, my children will not inherit my sin, but my blessing. (laughs) Huh? How many says my kids are not going to inherit my sin? My kids are going to inherit my blessing. They're going to inherit the blessing that is on my life. They're going to inherit my faithfulness. They're going to inherit my, my stability in the house of God. They're going to inherit... They're going to inherit the spoils from the battles that I have won and the victories that God has given me. Listen, I tell you all this all the time, how important the next generation is. You realize how important that children's church is back there? I'm telling you that's the next generation. And I'm believing that we'll fight battles that they won't have to. There's battles we'll fight financially. There's battles we'll fight culturally. There's battles that we will fight that they won't have to inherit the battle, but they can walk into the inheritance of the blessing of the victory that we have won on this side so that that when they come and become leaders in this body, they won't have debt in the church. They won't have problems or government issues or pastoral issues or, or, or... or any other kind of moral issues, but they'll walk in the blessing of God, that they'll inherit a healthy church, a healthy people, an excited people that's willing to do whatever it takes to win the kingdom of God and to win lost souls. Hallelujah. We're not building robots back there. We're not building religious kids back there that know how to play the church game. I probably shouldn't go here, but I am anyway. Are y'all with me? Y'all been around church long enough, most of you? I'm telling you, the spirit of religion has destroyed the authenticity of the body of Christ. The spirit of religion has driven a whole generation out. Because they said you got to look like us, you got to talk like us, you got to walk like us. And we know they come from a different mold. Hallelujah. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. I said, help us, Jesus. Whoo! This is funny because in the last few months, I've had two dreams of people's children that are not in church preaching the gospel. Well, 
they go to church, but I, I seen them. One, both families, I told them. I said, hey, I saw your son preaching. And I saw thousands of people responding to him. I told one family this morning that I saw their son leading Bible studies. I saw their son, son preaching, leading hundreds to Jesus. That there was a transformation in his life where the fire of God got on him. And I believe that it's the roar of this generation that's calling home the next generation so that they can be the voices of the future that is to come. Hallelujah. God conquers. We possess our children inherit. Do you hear what I said? God conquers. We possess and our children inherit. John 16, 33 says this, These things have I spoken to you, that in me, in me you may have peace. And in the world you, you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Hallelujah. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. The roar of the lion calls his children home. The roar of the lion gathers the pride again. In this National Geographic special I was watching, it was, a, it was, an, interesting, it was an interesting thing because what had happened was it showed a, it showed a lion that had been in battle. And uh, it showed a before, a before film of the lion before the battle, and then it showed this picture of this lion after he had been in battle. After he had been in battle, after he had been fought. But he wasn't fighting. He, hadn't, he, he wasn't fighting. He wasn't fighting hyenas or, or other animals. He was fighting his own. Other lions had attacked him. Sometimes the biggest scars we get are from our own. <laughs> and what happened was this lion had been in a battle and he was bleeding and scarred. And what he was doing, he was protecting his pride. And a lion will have a pride of females. He'll have a territory. And when a rival lion comes into that territory... He protects, he protects the pride because he's not going to let that other male lion reproduce in his territory or from the other females that are in his pride. So he protects them. He protects them. And so it was this thing where this lion had been in a fight with another lion. And this other lion was trying to take over the pride and take over his territory and wanting to mate with his pride of females. And he fought, and he fought, and he was wounded, almost to the place that the uh, National Geographic narrator said that he was so wounded that he had lost all of his strength. He laid there, wounded and bleeding everywhere from this fight. He actually had killed the other lion. 
But what happened was a, a pack of hyenas came around. And his children, the baby lions, had been exposed. And he's laying there wounded, bleeding, without strength. And the narrator saying, you know, he's very vulnerable right now. And these hyenas came by because these hyenas wanted to kill the lion cubs. And the narrator says this. He said, the narrator said the lion, the lion had very limited, minimal strength. And he said, here's what the lion does have. He has his roar. But his roar was broken. And so, when he'd roar, it wouldn't be like the roar they normally have. It'd just be a roar. Just a wounded roar. He didn't have the strength to fight the hyenas. And I saw that it was amazing. The lion looked over at that pack of hyenas that had surrounded him. And he just let that broken roar out. He was just like, roar. I mean, those hyenas could have killed him and his babies too. But he still had his roar even though he was wounded. He still had his roar. And when he let that roar out, what happens was those hyenas fled. They took off. It was amazing that the sound of his roar brought such fear into them that they took off running. They responded to the authority of his roar. The enemies of the lion know very well, as long as the lion can roar, they can't take away anything that belongs to the lion. <laughs> you all hearing me this morning? I'm telling you that the authority of Jesus is in our lives. And our roar, when we roar, when we worship, when we, when we pray, when we speak the Word of God, when we have a confession, there's an authority in what we say. And when we worship and roar, the enemy has to flee because he has no right to what belongs to the children of God. Why? Because there's an authority in the Word. There's an authority in the believer. Are y'all getting this this morning? Are y'all with me? Did you hear what I said? I said this word is like a lion. When it roars, the enemy has to back off. Woo! <laughs> I said the enemy has to back off. As long as the roar, as long as you can prophesy, as long as you can worship, Woo! It scatters the enemies. And the enemy cannot take away what has been given to the believer. You hear what I'm saying? There are things that belong to the body of Christ the enemy can't have. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Marriage is a covenant that was instituted by God. And the enemy can't have it. He can't distort it. He can't make it something that's not. Amen. And what needs to happen is the church needs to roar and let the enemy know, you're not getting the definition of marriage. Amen. 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 <laughs> Woo! Amen. 
Where are my lions? Where are my lions? Where are my lions? That's going to say, there is, there is the Word of God, there is righteousness, and the Word of God is truth. Where are the lions in the streets that are roaring and saying, you can't have our kids, you can't have their minds, you can't have their bodies, you can't have their spirits, you can't have our young people, you can't have the next generation. <laughs> Whew. Looking for some lions this morning. Looking for some lions this morning. Woo. Number four, a lion's scars grants access to new territory. A lion's scars. Proverbs 30, 30 says this, A lion which is mighty among the beast and does not turn away from any. Listen, there's a growing... I may get in trouble, but since we're being real this morning, since you're giving me permission to be real, let me tell you, there's this growing thing that's happening in the body of Christ. Let, let, me, just tell, let me just tell you what it is. There's this teaching of perpetual victimization. <laughs> the enemy wants you, wants to make you a permanent victim. Walk around, woe's me. Easily offended. Right? Come on, y'all help me this morning. We are living in an easily offended generation. I've never seen people more mad and more offended in this hour than this day. Everything offends them. Everything. <laughs> and what happens is we become lifetime victims. We're always a victim of what someone did to us, what they said to us, what they didn't let us do. They called us out. They, they did this. They're, they're always victims. We didn't do anything. They've done it all to us. And they live perpetually as a victim. And what happens is when you do that, you let the enemy win. And what happens is, is listen, we need to live in an hour when we begin to push back against all of this victimization. Listen, I'm offended by people who are so easily offended. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. I'm offended by people who are always offended. <laughs> you can't be offended, preacher. That's not who we are. Now, we can be offended for a minute, but we can't live there. You can't be a more than a conqueror and also be a victim. Listen, I'm telling you we're living in a world that's trying to make victims out of the very classes of our society. They're trying to make victims through race and through ethnicity. They're trying to make victims through, through society and class levels. And they want everybody to be a victim. Everybody offended. Everybody walking around mad. 
But I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to be the devil's punching bag. I'm not, I'm not, I don't live under a curse. I've determined that I'm an overcomer. And I've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I'm not a victim, I'm a victor. I'm not a victim, I've been brought up and brought out. And it doesn't matter what someone has done in the past, I'm walking through and going on with what God has for my life. I'm not going to remain in offense. I'm not going to remain in a place of being uh, uh, constantly at a place where someone has always hurt me. Someone's always offended me. The reason I can't rise up is because somebody's holding me back. Somebody's keeping me from being what I want to be. I'm here to tell you, you can be whatever God wants you to be. He'll put His Spirit in you, and if you'll roar like a lion, He'll make promotion for you. And the scars of your past will be the thing that promotes you into the greater things of the kingdom of God. <laughs> I'm telling the enemy wants you to back up. He wants you to quit. How many of you in here have ever overcome something in your life? Hallelujah. The scars of a lion give him an expanded territory. Because he has conquered rivals and has accessed the rivals' territory and pride. I showed you that lion that was all wounded. He had killed a rival lion that came into his territory. But guess what happened? When he revived, guess what? He not only had his pride, but because he killed that lion... He gained that lion's territory also. And his pride. Because he conquered him. Listen, I'm here to tell you that that which God has allowed you to overcome is that thing which he'll give you authority to walk in. If God, is, if God has delivered you from alcohol, God will give you an anointing to deliver those in alcohol. If God has delivered you from depression and delivered you from drugs, God will put an anointing on your life. You have scars in them, but on the other side, God will give you an anointing to conquer in that area. Why? Because your scars will become access to new territory. Glory to God. Y'all hearing me this morning? Praise God, I've got to quit. Because I hear y'all's bellies. <laughs> The scars of a lion grants him access to new territory. Woo! Praise God. Hallelujah. My goodness. Think about that for a moment. Let that soak in for a moment. <laughs> what used to overcome you, now you can overcome. Whew. Jesus. Mmm. And finally, this morning, the last, the last point, number five, the lion's, the lion's pride. The lion's pride. It's important who the lion surrounds himself with. Jeremiah 51, 38 says, they will roar together like lions. In other words, they will roar collectively. 
You are who surrounds you. Stop surrounding yourself with hyenas and coyotes and foxes and serpents and wolves in sheep clothing. Surround yourself with other lions. People who have the same roar as you. People who have the same dream, that have the same, that have the same vision and have the same destiny as you. Get around people who have the same voice that you may roar together, that collectively you can roar together. Surround yourself with people to bless you as well as the broken you. You know what I love about some of my best friends? Some of my best friends and some of the people that I love being around the most are the people who love me in my broken areas as much as they love me in my blessed areas. They love me in the areas where I'm weak just as much as they love me in the areas that I'm strong. I'm telling you it's important to surround yourself with people who will love you even when you're not at your best. Take it from a pastor. Take it from someone who has, who has learned from relationships that there are some people you can have relationships with and some you can't. Because some people only like you when you're useful to them. Some people only like the broken you. <laughs> you know why they like the broken you? Because the broken you, they're able to manipulate. They're able to use to their advantage. The broken you, they're able to, to, uh, uh, to manipulate and to work you to their advantage. But once you get a victory in an area, and you say, I'm not going to be a victor there no long, they don't want anything to do with you. Find people that are willing to walk with you regardless of what's going on in your life. Let me tell you all something. Some of you already know this. I could not have gone through 30 years of ministry and 22 years as a senior pastor without the woman that sits here on this front row. I'm just telling you because I'm just telling you she's seen me, she has seen me in my best and she's seen me in my worst. She's seen me in my most worst. And she knows me better than anybody in this room. And I'm just confessing to you that God gave her to me. She was a gift from God. Because, I, because let me just tell you, there's no, other one, there's no other woman that could have walked through what we walked through and would have stayed but her. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I couldn't, be, I couldn't have been married to anybody else. I would have either choked them and killed them or they would have killed me. <laughs> because I could not have walked through some of the things that we've walked through in life had I not had her on my side. God did that. 
I say, God did that. God did that. I'm telling you, there were times I came home one time in 2002 and we had been in, in, the, in a church that we had been there five years. Things were going good. The church was going good. It was growing. We were in the midst of really a renewal. God was saving people. And I came home and I told her, I said, hey, I said, God spoke to me that we're to leave. We're to leave here. We're to go. And this is what she said. She said, honey, I'll go wherever God leads you. I'm with you. She had made friends where we were. The kids had made friends. I mean, it was a hard thing. I thought she was going to fight me, Rick. I thought, I thought I'm, a, I'm, in for, I'm in for a battle. But she said, I'll go wherever God leads you, wherever God wants to take us. I believe it's 1 Timothy. I believe it's 1 Timothy chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter. Paul said, he wrote a letter to Timothy and he said, I want you to have mercy upon the household of Onesphorus. He said, for Onesphorus sought me when I was in Rome in chains. He sought me and found me. And the Bible says that he often refreshed me. Often refresh me. He said, I pray the blessing of God over the household of, of Onesphorus. Onesphorus would visit Paul in prison. He wouldn't only visit him, but he would, he would bless him. The scripture actually says that he would lay hands on Paul and pray for Paul. I mean, who would ever think that the Apostle Paul would need prayer? Or that the Apostle Paul would need encouragement? Paul surrounded himself with men that had the same roar. Some bit and ran. But Onesphorus refreshed him often. And I just want to tell you, I'm thankful for the people that are in my life who often refresh us. Their kindness. Their words of encouragement. I'm thankful for the pastor friends that I have that when I call them, that they're readily available, always concerned about where we are. I mean, if you've got people in your life that are like that, you need to be thankful. You hear me? You need to be thankful that God will surround you with such great people. Pastor Adam, if you'll come. I want to leave you with this this morning. It's time to get the lion's roar back. I said it's time to get the lion's roar back. It's time for the church again to release the roar of the lion and let this world know that the earth is the Lord's and belongs to the kingdom of God. We are His lions. And it's time we come together. I hear the sound of the roaring of the lion that's calling the body of Christ together. That's calling us to one voice and one sound. 
Stand with me if you would this morning. I want to take care of some business real quick. And then we're going to pray. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision for Jesus, you've never asked Christ into your life, you've never asked Jesus into your heart, you've never made a decision to get saved and become a believer, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to challenge you. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. Now I know many of you here this morning, and I know that you're saved and born again, but you never know who's here who may never have made a decision for Jesus. But this may be your morning. When I got saved, it was the best decision I made. Amen? How many of you know that when you, Jesus came into your life, it was the best decision you made? Huh. I got saved March 1st, 1987. Antioch Baptist Church, 1411 Antioch Road, Johnson City, Tennessee, 37650. Classroom 102, 10 minutes to 11. Paul Garland was preaching on Acts chapter 9 and the book of Acts of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. At 11 o'clock, I walked up into the big church and I walked the aisle and publicly made my salvation public. And at that moment that I said that sinner's prayer and gave my life to Jesus, there was a roar that came into my life. There was a roar that came into my life and I became a something, part of something that was bigger than me. I became a part of a family that was bigger than me. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.